0: How many of you have ever made wrong assumptions? I, I, I make a lot of wrong
1: assumptions a lot of time. Uh, usually, it's in my households. It's with regards to food. You know, my wife loves to cook and she loves to try out different recipes. And and she, and she's at the point now in our relationship where I will say, "Well, what do we have for supper?" I don't get an answer because she really doesn't want to hear me complaining about. What she's decided to cook. So she just sets it on the table. And I make wrong assumptions. I must have been a spoiled kid or something. I make wrong assumptions when I look at it and think, oh, that's not going to taste good. But then I know i got to eat it. Because life ain't going to be happy at home if I don't eat it. Okay? So, and then when I eat it, I find out, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And I'll tell her, that was good. That was good, Lori. You know? That's okay. You know, that was good. You know, we make wrong assumptions, don't we? A lot of times we make wrong assumptions when it comes to people. You ever met someone and your first assumption about them you found out later was totally wrong? You had them pegged and then you realized, man, I was so wrong in my assumption about them. A lot of things we have wrong assumptions about. One key area that we have wrong assumptions about has to do with our spiritual lives and in particular, salvation. The sad thing is today, a lot of us today, even if you come to church, have some wrong assumptions about what it is to be saved, who's going to be saved, and what salvation is. And what we're going to look at today, this is actually going to be a hard lesson for me because I looked at this and I thought, oh man. But it kind of fits with everything that Jesus has been talking about. He's been talking about who's going to be a part of the kingdom. He's going to be—he's talking about the assumptions that we make about that we thrust people outside of the kingdom who shouldn't be thrust out and then we think we're okay. And so he's just further going along with that. In this passage, so I want you to notice with me, it really starts off with a question. Somebody comes up and asks Jesus a question. A lot of His teaching, to be honest with you, in this section, all the way up to chapter 19, has to do with somebody asking a question. And so somebody who's been following Jesus for a while starts to figure things out a little bit. He's been listening to Jesus, he's been hearing what Jesus is saying, and so He's got a question so let's look at what the question is, and then we'll look and see how Jesus responds to it. Look with me at verse 22. The writer Luke, setting the stage for this question, says this. And he went through all the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, folks. Then one said to him, Lord, there are few who are saved. And he said to them, that is Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom. And indeed, there are last who will be first. And there are first who will be last. We can take this passage of scripture, this, these few verses here, and basically divide them up into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, the issue of the question. We're going to discuss what the question is that this gentleman has. And then we're going to see the illustration, because Jesus gives us an illustration that he's going to use to try to convey some truths to us. So let's look at the question. Here's what's going on. Jesus is teaching. He's heading toward Jerusalem, because he knows he's got to go to the cross. He's heading toward Jerusalem, and he's teaching. And this somebody comes up. It's not a disciple. Luke would have said it was a disciple. But somebody comes up who's been listening to Jesus, who's been really paying attention, obviously, to what Jesus is teaching. He's been noticing things, and he comes up, and look at verse 23. He says, Lord, there are few who are saved. See, he's got a question. He's starting to realize that as he's listening to Jesus, Jesus is communicating something that's really perplexing him, and he's wondering, well, well, wait a minute now. There are few who are responding. There are few who are committing themselves. There are few who are saved. I, I just don't get it. Now, this is my first point here. We assume that all will make it. We assume that all will make it. See, this is the assumption the guy had. Now, let me explain to you why he had that assumption. First of all, he's a Jew. And the assumption of the Jewish people at that time, and to this day is, is that they're all going to make it to heaven. Because they're what? Jews. Because they know and keep the law... And they are the children of God. They're God's chosen one. So when Jesus is coming along and he's talking about that there are some people who aren't going to make it and that people who assume that they're going to make it aren't going to make it, he's got a question. It's like, wait a minute, this is so different than what I'm used to. You're coming along and telling me that there are some who aren't going to make it? And the way it sounds, Jesus, when I'm listening to you, only a few will be saved? You see the question there? See, the question is arising out of an assumption that he has. And the assumption that he has is is that he assumes that everybody's going to make it. And you know what? That's the same assumption we have today, isn't it? We assume that all will make it to heaven. Now, of course, we've got some exceptions in there. You know, Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Osama bin Laden. Yeah, they're not going to make it. But everybody else... Heaven bound, baby, they're on the way. And so when you listen to what Jesus is teaching, immediately, that's just going to cause a question in your mind because, I just don't understand, because we just all assume that everybody's going to make it to heaven. Because aren't we all good? Aren't we? I mean, I just talked to you about my reaction to my wife's cooking. Do you think she thinks I'm good? Not in that instance. But here's the reality. We assume that all are going to make it. Now here's how Jesus responds to him. I mean, it's amazing. He gives an introductory statement right before the illustration. We see it in verse 24. Jesus says two things in verse 24. that are going to help us to grasp what's going on here as we talk about this question. Look with me at verse 24. Here's how Jesus responds to the question. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Here's what he's saying. First thing I want you to see here, he's saying is, be sure of your destiny. Be sure of your destiny. He uses the word strive there. Now what does that mean? He just doesn't say, well, just be sure to enter the narrow gate. He's saying strive. Let's make every effort. Like if I'm striving for something... I am serious about getting towards something. I'm serious about acquiring something. I'm serious about doing something. That's reflected in my attitude. That's reflected in the energy that's expended from me. That's going to be reflected in how serious I take it. And that's the word he's using here. He's saying that you and I need to make sure about our destiny. Just don't assume something. Just don't assume that because you are part of something, you're okay. And let's stop for a moment. Again, let's get back up to that last point there. Remember what it was that we said? We assume that all's going to, we're all going to make it. Here's the deadly thing about coming to church. Listen to me, folks. There's a deadly thing about coming to church. The deadly thing about coming to church is, is you can come to church and assume that you're going to be okay and not be okay, because you went to church, and everybody else didn't. But see, going to church doesn't save you. Do- going to church doesn't remove the sin from your life. Going to church doesn't bring forgiveness. And so if you're just making an assumption, well, I'm here, George, aren't I okay? No, no, that's that's the attitude of the guy who's listening to Jesus because if anybody could, sh- quote, be sure or make an assumption about where he was going, it was this Jewish fellow who was asking Jesus this question because he was part of God's chosen people. Now, Jesus is saying, no, 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 Wait, but you don't understand. You need to make sure of where you're going. You need to be sure of your destiny. Don't just assume things. Just don't make wrong assumptions. Wouldn't that be scary one day? To live all your life making a wrong assumption and then you realize at the end you were wrong? This is what Jesus is talking about. Make every effort. Be sure of your destiny. Why? Why is he saying that? Because he uses an interesting thing here. He says, Strive to enter the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter it will not be able. What's he saying here? The way to salvation is exclusive. The way to salvation is exclusive. Now, I'm very much aware that that statement I just made is not kosher. I'm very much aware that that statement I've made is not truly accepted in our culture. Why? Because in our culture, we like to say that everybody's going to make it and that all religions head there. And when you say that kind of thing, George, that it's It's Jesus' way. That's the only way. You're making a statement that just is not palatable to us. First of all, I'm not the one who's making the statement. It's Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Those are not George's words, folks. Those are Jesus' words. And so when Jesus talks about... Enter into the narrow way. He's saying, basically, that there is only one way to come to him. And it's pretty narrow, folks. But he says there are going to be many who try to enter, but they can't enter. In fact, Matthew, when he talks about this very same issue, he says, enter into the narrow way, for broad is the way to destruction, and many enter therein. What's he saying there? Many people try to look for another way that is all-inclusive, but they end up destroying themselves. See, this is the issue. The question is, Is we all assume we're going to make it, so I don't really understand what you're saying, Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he says, wait a minute, now, hold on now, I want you to understand something. You better be sure of where you're headed. You better be sure of your destiny. Because the way to salvation is exclusive. It's only through me, Jesus says. It's only through him. Folks, it is not being baptized. It's not coming here to church. It's not going to any other church. That's not going to get you anywhere. It's what you believe about Jesus Christ. It's your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you understand me? It's what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. So then he goes on to make the point and he gives us an illustration just for to help us to understand what he's talking about here. So we see the illustration in verse 25 through 30. He uses the illustration of a master who has a dinner. And of course with this dinner he's being reflective of the kingdom and it's a question of of who's going to come to this guy's party. So I want you to notice with me, look with me at verse 25. Where's what we see. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Here's the point I want you to see as we look at this illustration. The time to respond is limited. The time to respond concerning the issue of salvation, here's what Jesus is pointing out to us, is limited. What do you mean it's limited? Well, he's saying that the Master is going to close the door at some point and say, okay, that's it, you're here, enough's enough. And that there are going to be people on the outside who are wanting to get in. But he's going to say, hey folks, I don't know who you are. See you later. The time's limited. The time is limited for you and I to make a decision. What do you mean the time's limited, George? Well, I'll be honest with you, one of the issues that limits us in our time is our mortality. It's a decision you and I have to make about what we do with Jesus before we die. Now here's the problem. Anybody here know when they're going to die? None of us do. None of us do, unless you're on death row and they tell you, this is the day. But even then, they're not sure, right? Here's the thing. The time to respond is limited. That's the point he wants you to see. Now, here's what happens, though. Here's the problem. is Look at verse 26. Notice what they say, because they want to get into this party. They want to get into the kingdom. They want to experience salvation. And the master says, look, it's over. Time's over. I'm sorry, you're not here. I don't know who you are. But look at what they say in verse 26. This is typical. Verse 26, they say, Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. They're going to say, Hey, don't you remember us? We used to hang out with you. We listened to your teaching. It's very much an illustration here that these people are saying that they hung out with Jesus. And it's very possible that they did. Because isn't that what he did? He ate and drank with them. He taught in their streets. Here's the point I want you to see. Many will bank on their involvement. Many will bank on their involvement. They're going to think that they're okay because of their involvement. Well, Jesus, we were we were in your posse. We were there with you. We hung out with you. We were part of your entourage, don't you remember? And he's going to say, I don't know you. They're going to bank on that. But you know what, here's the scary thing. I just... Statistic after statistic comes out, and here's what they always reveal. Here's this scary thing. Do you realize that in the North American church, what they're revealing is is that half of the people who come to our churches aren't saved? Think about that. Half aren't saved because they're banking on something. And here, and this is very true because I come from South Carolina. And that's the Bible belt. And, and and here's the assumption that we make, and it's so wrong. And it's so it's many Christians today think they're going to heaven because of several different things. Here's what they think. Number one, I go to church. Number two, I vote for the right party. Number three, I'm pro small government, pro big military, pro anti capital gains, and we could go on and on and on, and because I vote that way and believe that way, I'm okay. And you won't believe how many Christians think that. And so they're baking on the wrong things. But here's the reality. You can hold to all of that, and you're still going to hell. You hear me? You can vote for the right party, you can be pro-military, small government, anti-taxes, anti-this, anti-that, and still go to hell. Because while you held all that, you missed the main point. And the main point is Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? The main point is what you believe about Jesus. Now, I know that's not politically correct, but sometimes I'm not politically correct. But the problem is, is when I read this passage, these people thought they knew Jesus. These people said, I hung out with you, Master. Why am I not allowed in this party? Didn't we hang out with you? Didn't we listen to your teaching? They had some wrong assumptions, didn't they? They had some wrong assumptions. So here's what's going to happen. Look with me at verse 27 or 28. They're going to be devastated. They will be devastated when they are rejected. Look at how he describes this. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And notice how they react. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They're going to be devastated. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to picture what 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 was the feeling going to be like. And I remembered, you know, back in January, Winter Jam came to State College. And so we took our youth group and a bunch of adults to go to Winter Jam. And I went because I wanted to see Skillet. And so we got there. We thought we got there early, but we didn't get there early. We But we got in, and we're up in the nosebleed. We're way up there. I could see the rafters. I could see the dust hanging on the ceiling up where we were. And, you know, the bands the are playing because they had ten bands. And after a while, i got to go to the potty. So I climb all the way down those steps, make my way out to go to the potty. And then I noticed the glass doors there were all closed off in the Bryce Jordan Center. And outside those glass doors were youth groups. The kids were just standing in the door, and they were doing this, Looking in. And I realized, because I just, I just thought about it, the whole Bryce Jordan Center was filled up. Every seat was taken. They got there late. And so they're hearing the music on the inside, but they're outside looking in. And it was cold out there It's January. And you think they were devastated? But that's the reality. This is the picture he's talking about. Folks, there are going to be some of you that are going to be sitting on the outside devastated because you weren't there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you were banking on the wrong thing. You were banking on this, or you were banking on that, but you didn't bank on the right thing. You didn't bank on Jesus. You didn't do something with Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about. They were left out. I mean, think about it. He's talking to this Jewish guy who thinks he's going to make it, and he says, don't you think it's going to be devastating when there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth? What is that? That pain and anguish. When you see... Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, but you can't come in. You're on the outside. That's devastating, isn't it, folks? That's devastating. But there's one other thing he says here. It's kind of like, why did he add these two verses? Because I don't understand what he's saying here. But look at verse 29 and 30. He said, They will come from the east and from the west, and from the north and the south, and they will sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first. And there are first who will be last. What's he saying here? There's still hope. There's still hope. I mean, just think about it. Everything I've talked about up to this point has been pretty pretty heavy, pretty devastating. But here's what Jesus is saying. Even in spite of the illustration that there are going to be some who aren't going to make it, he's going to say, folks, when he thinks about the kingdom, there are going to be folks who come from... The east and the west. And they're going to be coming from the north and the south. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Gentiles who were viewed by the Jews as being outsiders. You want to know what the Jews thought of the Gentiles? They thought they were the firewood of hell. If anybody ever deserved to go to hell, Gentiles did. And here's what Jesus is saying. These outcasts are going to come. There's still hope. If there's hope for the outcasts to come, there's hope for you and I, isn't there? See, even a message like this is really a message of hope. You say, well, it's been pretty serious. You've kind of got me wondering about myself. Well, that's good, because that's why there's still hope. Because if the message stirs you to think about where you're at in your relationship with God and what you've done with Jesus Christ, there's still hope for you. This is the point that Jesus is making. There's still hope. See, I can't bank on my baptism. I can't bank on... Even the prayer I pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because somebody led you in a prayer doesn't mean anything. It's what you believe in your heart. And the commitment you make in your heart about Jesus. A lot of people pray prayers. doesn't mean anything. Nothing changes. The reality is, what are you doing with Jesus? And Jesus is saying there's still hope, so you've got to do something with him. Let's say, okay, George, what do we do with this? How do we wrap this up? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts, and then I'm going to give you an action point. Number one, are you sure of your destiny? I mean, this is the whole point of what Jesus has been talking about. This is the whole point. Are you, are you sure of your destiny, or are you operating on wrong assumptions? Are you, are you making wrong assumptions? Because I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be awfully scary if you show up and you're waiting outside and you're looking in and, and everybody's not having a great time on the outside, but you're in the you're out in outer darkness. So are you sure? What, what are you banking your destiny on? Is it because of who you vote for? Is it because of where you go to church? Is it because you were baptized? Baptism will not save you, folks. Let me just go ahead and say that. It will not save you. Even the amount of knowledge you have about the Bible won't save you. It's what you do with the person of Jesus Christ and whether you commit your life to Him. That will save you. So, are you sure of your destiny? Are you sure of what lies ahead of you? Are you sure? The second point is this. Commit yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus. Wholeheartedly. Remember he said strive? Strive means I'm exerting all of my energy towards something. That's what we're talking about here. is, Is that you need to make a decision to commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Jesus Christ if He is who He says He is. And who He says He is, folks, He says He's God. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only means by which you will be forgiven by your sin. So you've got to make a decision about that. And if you're going to make a decision about it, make your decision wholeheartedly for Him. You just can't come along for the ride. Because here's the danger about just coming along for the ride. You can deceive yourself into thinking you're okay. And then one day you find out you're not. You've got to make a wholehearted commitment to Him. Now you say, what does that mean, George? Does that mean I'm going to become a big Bible banger? I need to grab a big, big family Bible and, and walk around and talk Jesus talk all day? No. No, no, that doesn't mean that at all. But it means that you look to Him for your day-to-day life to guide you through the things that you're going through. And when you go through things, He's there for you to rely upon. You know that He forgives you of your sin. He gives you victory over the things that ensnare you. He becomes an intricate part of your life day-to-day. And you know what? A lot of times, you don't even need to say anything. You just know He's there. It doesn't mean you become a Bible banger. But it means you gave your heart to Jesus. So commit yourself wholeheartedly to Him. So, okay, so George, what do we do with it this week? Well, here's the action point. Here's what you need to do. You need to ask yourself a question. Ask yourself, what am I counting on? I mean, Because here's the thing. That first question, isn't that the first question again? Yeah, because that first question really needs to be thought about throughout this whole week. And you need to wrestle with it. When it's over a coffee, when you're alone, when you're driving... What am I counting on? Am I counting on belonging to the right party? Am I counting on this, that, or another? What are you counting on? Because I'm going to be honest with you. You can hold all the right positions. Quote, right positions, whatever they are. Still go to hell. Still face judgment for your sin. But what are you counting on? You know, one day, one day I'm going to depart from this earth. And I'm going to stand not before St. Peter at the pearly gates. That's just a bunch of hogwash. That's not going to happen. Who you're going to stand before is somebody so far better than Peter. You're going to stand before King Jesus. And they're going to bring out my files. They're going to bring out... I remember one time I served on a jury duty and they brought this guy's medical records in. They brought it in hand trucks of his medical records in. It's a malpractice suit. Well, they're going to bring hand trucks of all the junk that I've ever done wrong. And then they're going to have this little wee manila folder. It looks like it's going to be hardly anything in it. Of all the things I've ever done right. And then based on that, I'm going to tell you right now, the assumption automatically is, is, I'm history. But Jesus is going to say, what are you trusting in, George? What have you trusted in? What is the record of this one's trust? And it will be said, in spite of all these things, he trusted in you, Jesus. And the words will be uttered, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. See, that's what gets you there. Is trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Not the positions you held. Not this good good stuff that you did. Not coming here to church. Not being baptized. Praying prayers. It's your faith and trust in Jesus. And so this week, you really need to ask yourself... A serious question, what are you counting on? It's not what family you came from, it's not how long you've been going to church, it's your trust in Jesus.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you.